I'm a Christian. I'm not afraid to admit it. Us Christians do a lot of good around town. But I will say, I am often embarrassed at some of the outdated attitudes of my fellow believers. Especially when it comes to people's personal lives. I believe in Jesus. But Jesus doesn't care about my private life as long as I don't hurt anyone. I mean, really, physical intimacy, which is one person, and that's only if you're married, that's not even reality. We have to stop connecting our spirituality to our sexuality. So my recommendation to Christians, I would say tone down the right, the wrong, the black, the white, and focus on things that we all can agree on, like feeding the poor. I'm Tom, and I'm the church. Thank you for being here. If you're a guest, we are studying the seven real letters of Jesus to seven real churches in Asia Minor. And I said last week that that teaching and the one this week might be hard to hear just as they're hard to preach, because Jesus loves his church. And so he's going to tell her what she needs to hear, not just what she might want to hear. In fact, I said last week I wasn't going to check my emails all week, but I did. And I'm glad that I did, because I probably got more responses to last week's sermon than any I've preached in some years. And they were almost all encouraging. And some of them were encouraging in the sense of, thanks for having the courage to tell us what we need to hear, keep going. But many more were encouraging in this way. They were responses that said, I did listen to the Holy Spirit. And I got convicted. Because he told me what I needed to hear, even though it wasn't what I wanted to hear. I got emails from some who said, I've been flirting with the world with my language. I've added some words to my vocabulary I wouldn't use if Jesus was in the room. And I need to clean that up. I got emails that said, I've crossed the line with alcohol abuse. And I'm convicted. I'm going to do something. I got emails that said, I've justified poor choices in the name of entertainment. I've read and watched things I wouldn't let in the house if Jesus was in the house. And I'm going to do something about that. And I'm thankful to preach at a church where people really do listen and respond to what the Holy Spirit says to them. Because I understand it is hard. It's always hard. It has always been hard to be the church In a culture that does not call Jesus Lord. To be in the world, but not of the world. The church is like a boat, and a boat belongs in the water. A boat in the water is not a problem. Water in the boat is a problem. And so we're trying to live in the world without the world being in the church. 
We're trying to embrace the world, engage the world. We can't escape the world. But we can't let the world infect our calling. And pressure from the world comes in many forms. We saw last week at Pergamum, it came in the form of physical persecution. One of their members had been arrested and executed in the name of Christ. But in Thyatira, the pressure was not physical in form. It was fiscal in its expression. If you were to visit the seven city sites, Thyatira might be the least impressive of the ruins because it's the least impressive of the cities. There are no huge theaters there or great temples of worship. Thyatira, if it was known for anything, was this. It's probably where your clothes came from. That little label on the back of your cloak probably said made in Thyatira. It was a fashion center. Uh, It's where the people that worked with wool and with leather and with dyes operated their businesses. Most of the clothes in your closet came from Thyatira. You remember in Acts 16 when Paul went to Philippi, it said there was a woman there named Lydia. She was from Thyatira and she was a dealer in purple cloth. The fashion industry dominated this small town. And if you lived in Thyatira, the way that you survived was to join one of the trade guilds. They had a guild for people that worked with wool. They had one for people that worked with leather. They had one for people that worked with dyeing cloth. And these guilds controlled the economy. They decided whether or not you had a job or got any business. More than that, they were the city's safety net. If you were a member of the guild and you passed away, the guild would take care of your family. And they were also worship centers. Because every guild had a God that blessed that particular industry. And so they would have feast, and you would be expected as a member to show up and participate. And at that feast, uh, meat would be sacrificed to that particular God, and that meat would become your lunch. And as a part of the festivities, prostitutes that served that particular God would approach you, and you would be expected to have an encounter. Because Satan has got two main bullets, sex and money. So with that as a background, let's hear the words of Jesus to the church in Thyatira. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and by her teaching she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. And I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling, so I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer 
intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now, I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes And does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will give him also the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And once again, we see Jesus saying, you are a very active church. In fact, you're doing more than you used to do. And healthy churches are active churches. But active churches are not necessarily healthy churches. Because no amount of busyness can replace a church's need for holiness. And so this church needs a word from Jesus about morality matters. Because Jesus thinks morality matters. And the first thing he does, just like he did last week is surprise us with his surprising intolerance of tolerance. He says, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel. Jesus says sometimes tolerance is sin. He says she calls herself a prophetess, but her teachings are misleading my servants into sexual immorality and eating food offered to idols. Now, we think tolerance is virtue number one. And it is a virtue if you mean show dignity to every human being. Be kind to all. Respect every person. But Jesus is intolerant of the view that all truth claims are equal and should never be confronted or challenged. Something is wrong when we make the holiness of Jesus in competition with the love of Jesus. And that's what happens. We hear teaching that is wrong, that leads people into sin, and the thinking is, well, I can't say anything. I can't stand up against that because I'm supposed to love everybody. And Jesus says, I'm intolerant of that kind of tolerance. The kind of tolerance that G.K. Chesterton says is simply a man who has no convictions. Teachers are always available for those that want to live a compromised life. And they found one in Thyatira. She was a lady. Jesus called her Jezebel. Now that wasn't her name. But she was like the Jezebel of the Old Testament that was leading the people of God into sin. She was evidently a very gifted teacher. She had a charismatic style of teaching. And she was giving that old, old version of how you behave doesn't matter as long as you believe the right things. And people were buying it because that church was full of Calvinists 
Now, by Calvinist, I don't mean followers of John Calvin. I mean followers of Calvin and Hobbes. You know that comic strip? Calvin's in school. He gets his test back. He's made a C. The girl next to him made an A. He says to her, I'm so glad I'm not you. And she says, why would you want a C instead of an A? And Calvin says, my life is a lot easier as long as I keep everyone's expectations low. And she is teaching it will be a lot easier for us in this city if we'll just lower these high moral expectations of Jesus. And we understand we're supposed to engage culture. We're supposed to try to connect to culture. But Jesus never said, lower my holy standards to accommodate culture. This is the only letter where Jesus addresses himself as the Son of God. He is bringing the full weight of his deity to bear on the matter of the church's morality. Because you understand, don't you, that nowhere in your Bible does it say, stay sexually pure or you might get pregnant. Nowhere does it say, stay sexually pure or you might get a disease. The Bible says, be sexually pure because Jesus says so. And because he's Lord. Like Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4. For you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. Sex and money. Satan may change the package. He doesn't change the content. And so the church in every city and in every age is always needing to hear what the Spirit says about morality matters. Because morality matters. So let's confront the culture and those lies with three statements. Here's the first. That spirituality includes sexuality. The idea that the body has no bearing on the soul is a demonic delusion. Some years ago, a young woman in our church, a fairly new Christian, uh, had a husband who was in prison. And a man from our church approached and said, you need a man around the house. Let me do some odd jobs for you. And she found out later he was hoping this would include in her return sexual favors. She said, I I thought as a Christian I wasn't supposed to have sex with anybody but my husband. I said, you're right. How could he justify such a thing? And she said, well, he says his relationship with Jesus is just fine. This is just between two people. See, this lie has been in the church a long time. That you can divorce what the body is up to from your spiritual life. But the Bible is constantly connecting your physicality to your spirituality. That's why, for example, the Bible says, greet each other with a holy kiss. Lay hands on each other when you appoint them. Anoint the sick with oil. Kneel when you pray. Hold up your hands when you praise. Because your body and your soul are connected. Jesus didn't come and say, hey, I'm not messing with bodies here. I'm just trying to save souls. He fed the hungry. He said, put clothes on the naked. He healed the sick. His ministry was holistic because Jesus came to save the whole person, body 
and soul. God sees your body as a vehicle for expressing the character of Jesus and as a vessel for containing his own Holy Spirit. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Imagine someone saying today, I can't wait till the auditorium is reopened in a couple of months. I want to sneak in there with my girlfriend and have sex in there. And if that image is disturbing to you, it ought to be. To think that someone would take a place set apart for the worship of God and use it that way. And Paul says your body is set apart as the house of God. Use it well. God isn't living in rented quarters. He bought the house. And he's got permanent plans for your body. The resurrection proved it. So Paul says in Romans 6, Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Because your body is not for your purposes. It is for God's. And that's where we have a huge problem with immorality. Immorality forgets it's about God. See, the second powerful statement of Jesus is this. Immorality is idolatry. He connects them. And we, too, we should too. And you probably know that no sin in the Bible is condemned more than the sin of idolatry. You might not know the Bible consistently connects idolatry to immorality. In fact, Scripture's favorite metaphor for idolatry is adultery. Because sexual sin ultimately is a rejection of God and the glory he is due. This is why, for example, Joseph, when he's down in Egypt as a slave and he's approached by a woman of influence who tries to seduce him to sexual sin. And he says to her in Genesis 39, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? You see, idolatry is so much more than just standing in front of a block of stone and calling it deity. Idolatry in its essence is using the created apart from the instructions of the creator. It is taking what the created is and replacing the creator with it. Listen to Paul. In Romans 1, his best analysis of the breakdown of the world says... They traded the glory of God who lives forever for the worship of idols made to look like earthly people, birds, animals, snakes. Because they did these things, God left them and let them go their own sinful way, wanting only to do evil. And as a result, they became full of sexual sin. 
using their bodies wrongly with each other. They traded the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and served what had been created instead of the God who created those things who should be praised forever. See, I want you to get this. Idolatry in its essence is taking God's creation and making it your terminus, your end, instead of the means that points to him and the glory he's due. God gave us good gifts like work. He gave us the gift of work so we could be productive and have a sense of meaning. But when you make work the end and you're going to find your identity and your security and your name in work, you're going to become a workaholic. You're going to be filled with worry. You're going to become a materialist because you've taken the created and you've replaced what God is for work. And it's idolatry. And God gave us food. He gave us a desire for food. He gave us taste buds to enjoy food. But when you take food and say, when I'm depressed and when I'm having a hard day, I'm going to find my joy in food, you're going to become an addict. And he gave us sex. It's God's idea. It's God's gift to seal and celebrate covenant between husband and wife. But when you say sex is my end and sex is my goal and I'm going to find my satisfaction and I'm going to find my well-being in my pursuit of sex, then you have taken the created and put it where only the creator belongs and you are going to experience tragedy. People take sex lightly because they take God lightly. And the result is always the treating of people lightly. Because when people no longer are seen as image bearers of God, they are objectified and simply become tools to use for our pleasure. You know this is true. That sex in this culture has simply become the use of people. You click a mouse. You buy a magazine. You meet in a parking lot. And people have become things. No longer image bearers of God, but objects. No father held his little baby girl and said, I hope someday she will be the object of some guy's lust at the end of a mouse. But that's what happens when men become idolaters. There's a website that's very popular. has over 4 million members designed to help people have affairs without getting caught. The creator says, people don't cheat because of a website. People cheat because they're looking for something to fill their lives. He says, we weren't meant to be monogamous. You hear what he's saying? People are just objects. And yet, when asked how he would feel if his own wife used the website, he said, I would be devastated. 
Because deep down we want to live in a world where people are more than tools. Guys, you want to battle lust? It's a good thing to put a filter on your computer. But try this instead or along with that. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with disgust when you witness the objectification of the daughters of God. Ask that the Holy Spirit would make your spirit nauseous when you see any situation, institution, or enterprise that takes the daughters of God and makes them things. You will not win the battle. Every attempt to defeat lust will be empty until you want to be full of God. A God that knows best. We've got to believe that about Him. Last summer, a year ago, they had this uh, motorcycle protest ride in New York about some recent helmet laws. So these guys are riding their bikes without their helmets to protest. One biker fell off his bike. He hit his head on the pavement and he died. And the emergency personnel said if he had been wearing a helmet, he would have survived. And God, who created these good gifts for our joy, says, listen to me. Do what I ask. I know what is for your good. But the way of the transgressor is hard. And it is. Especially if you wear the name of Jesus. If you wear the name of Jesus and you have low moral standards, Jesus said your way will be hard. That's item three. Adultery brings adversity. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely. Jesus said, Jezebel, you like bed? I can put you in bed. And it won't be pleasant. It's stunning to me that in his mercy, he would give this woman time to repent. He is so merciful. But he is not mockable. Why should any of you be surprised that Jesus would make life hard for you if you are going to soil his bride? I'm not a good counselor. A good counselor needs a mercy gift. I don't have a mercy gift. I have a prophetic gift. And when I hear lies, I just want to speak instead of listen. And so recently I'm with a man and he just dumps on me. He hates on me. He hates on my preaching. He hates on our church. He hates on God. He says, I go to church. I read my Bible and I'm having financial difficulty and I've lost my job and I don't believe any of that stuff anymore. And in the course of our conversation, I learned that for 11 years, he has lived a wickedly immoral life. He has flaunted the holiness of Jesus. He has soiled the reputation of Jesus consistently and intentionally. And I exploded in righteous indignation. 
It said, how dare you expect the blessing of Jesus when you're messing on his wife? Don't come to me for counseling. That is not my gift. Morality matters because the reputation of Jesus matters. And so, listen to the Holy Spirit who will lead you, who will guide you. And you know this is true. Who will warn you when you start getting close to a line you should not get close to. The Holy Spirit will never Take you anywhere. You will be ashamed to be should Jesus return. And he will return. He's coming back for his bride. And isn't it true that the thoroughness of any cleanup campaign is directly related to the esteem you hold for the person that's coming? In college, I lived with a house of six guys. If a friend from our fraternity was coming over, we didn't lift a finger. If we found out mama was coming for the weekend, we had the place fumigated. (laughs) The thoroughness of a cleanup campaign is directly proportional to the esteem you hold for the person you hear is coming. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians, let us cleanse ourselves From everything that can defile our body or spirit. And let us work toward complete holiness. Because we fear God. And that's why I'm so thankful to preach at a church where so many people are trying to listen to the Holy Spirit. Even though he may say things hard to hear. Two more words. Our culture is going to try to embarrass us on this. Our culture is going to try to belittle us and our unawareness of what they call normal. But that's okay. Jesus says sometimes ignorance is bliss. Don't let the world embarrass you that you don't know the so-called deep things of Satan. Don't be embarrassed that you are ignorant of most of the smut peddled in the world. I think Christians should have a holy naivete. Paul says in Romans 16, we should be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. It's like the young man who was going out with some friends on a night in the town. They were going to go to a pretty wild part of town. He told the old preacher his plans. The preacher warned him. He said, don't worry, preacher. There's safety in numbers. And the old preacher said, yes, but there's more safety in Exodus. (laughs) And it is wisdom to know the things you don't need to know much about. And so especially you young people, 
Be strong, courageous. Don't let the world embarrass you that you are ignorant of things for which Jesus would hope you stay ignorant. But now one more word. A word probably that everyone here. We all wish when we look back on our lives that we had a reset button. Almost every one of us could look back at one time in our life and say, I wish I had a do-over. I wish I had never gone there. I wish I'd never seen that. I wish I'd never crossed that line. And Jesus does say, in the church, sexual sin is unacceptable. He does not say it is unpardonable. Jesus gives mulligans. He who is an expert at cleansing the temple is also an expert at re-cleansing the temple. And so, as Paul says every day, offer your body to God as a living sacrifice. Let Jesus make it clean every day. This is your spiritual act of worship. And so, Father, we pray right now that we will have the courage to hear the Spirit. Right now, the Spirit is saying to some, Stop it. Don't go there anymore. Give them the courage to act. Right now the Spirit is saying to some, Stay strong. Don't give in. You've chosen well. And to all of us the Spirit is saying, Your body belongs to Jesus. Honor him with it. Help us to hear what the Spirit says to the church. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Please stand. Prayer teams are going to take their place at the front. This is your chance now to come and talk to someone about becoming a Christian. To come and talk to someone about something going on in your life that you need prayer over. This is your time to be encouraged by song while you come.